0: I'm going to give a disclaimer. Is that okay? I'm not I'm not going to ask you to apologize for who you are. And you won't require me to apologize for who I am because I'm madly in love with Jesus. Any married folks in here and you're madly in love with your spouse? I mean, like madly. Right. And sometimes you get a little excited, get a little zealous. You kind of show your love out loud and you're like, Man, maybe that was supposed to be private. Since when is your Christianity a private affair? Yeah, it's not a private affair. It's not a transfer of information. It's a transfer of impact that comes to you because of the love of God and what it does to you. It transforms you into the image and likeness of God. And that is what you signed up for. Okay, are you in Colossians chapter one? Yes. Amen. Amen. So I said that because I'm going to throw out a few things to you today that might be shocking to your senses, right? I hope it's the offense of the cross, the thing that offends your flesh but causes your spirit man to rise. Enables you to put some things to death in order that you might live in who you are supposed to be. Amen? Amen. I'm going to talk to you about identity today. Can we just get out of the the way? All right. If I don't preach or articulate well today know that when you left this place I was talking to you about who you are because whose you are are you ready yeah. are you ready yeah. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 he Jesus is the in, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation for by him all things are created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him (laughs) and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the glue, the fabric of all things. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the head. You get to be his body. He is the beginning and firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, say everything, everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell inside the man Jesus the God man as through him I'm sorry and through him to reconcile to him all things whether things on earth or in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross Saints. We are only scratching the surface of the fundamental thing that actually happened in the realm of eternity and in time that includes you. We're going to continue to scratch on this till we really get the impact of the love of God and what has actually happened fundamentally for you. Verse 21, once, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, somebody say now, Now. but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death, through death to present you as holy in his sight. Man, it's important for you to know how Jesus sees you without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out, In the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that you that has been proclaimed to every creature under the sun and of which I, Paul, I've become a servant of. Saints, this morning we're going to continue our quest on liberating you from legalism. Break the chains of your cornality and to loose you from this python type grip on your religious approach to a relational father. Are you with me this morning? Because it's rampant in the land. But we, we are going to be free because that's what Jesus did for us. A place where you can work from, not for. Oh, man, we got to get free in this morning. Saints, there's only one gospel. And Colossians says that the good news is that the king and his kingdom has arrived on planet Earth. And set up supremacy. Watch this inside of the hearts of men and women who call upon his name. Amen. Colossians says, hey, the fullness of all that God is, the family of God, lives right seated in the heart of Yeshua, the Messiah, of Jesus himself. Oh, and then by the way, that, that man Jesus now sets up his throne upon your heart and no longer is he standing beside you, but now he lives inside of you. And because of that, you can have something called the fullness of Christ. Man, we've settled for less saints, but we're not going to do that this morning. Amen. Paul writes to the church of Colossae, and he says that if you continue to live. With your faith. Firmly placed in the faithfulness of Jesus, if you trust the substitutionary work done on the cross, And the victorious nature of it, it will relieve you from a few things. That feeling of accusation that you still have inside of you when you think about the things of God. You have been relieved of accusation. You have been relieved of these ideas and ideals of alienation from God. How many of you see God as a far off deity? more than you see him as a very present father. This is what we're working on, saints, that you might be free in who you are because you cannot understand your identity until you understand his. And if you think of him as a far off deity in the sky but not a very present father, then you live that way your whole life, a little bit distanced. You ever, any of you have friends in your life like that? I'm just kinda gonna hold you over here. And we're good, right? We call friends, No, that's acquaintances at best. We're going to work through that this morning, saints. You have been reconciled. You have been reconciled. That means exchange. You've been exchanged. Everything that he is... Now belongs to you. That means you give him everything you are and now he gives you everything that he is. A great exchange, a katalaga in the Greek, and a great exchange happened for you. And you think, well, that was really just interesting, right? He saved me and I'm just going to hang on till heaven. And when I get to heaven, then I get my reward. But hello, if you end up in heaven and Jesus is not there, are you still happy? Why? Because he's the great reward and you don't have to wait on him. Eternal life is to know him and you can know him now in the fullness of all that he is. When you were made up brand new creation, you were then ironed out. No more blemishes, no more spot, no wrinkle. This is your new identity. And now the Bible says, as Pastor Casey said over the last couple of weeks, you've been set like a lamp on a hill made to shine. Not a flickering flame, right? But a blazing torch. Now, you're not getting me this morning. Yep. See, many of you, I'm, I'm learning this land. I've been here four years in this land. And I'm learning that we got our churchiology. We got our Christian speech, right? Right? I don't speak like that. I'm learning because it's kind of your language, but I'm going to get it. So a little bit of grace. okay? You're a lamp, a torch, something that is supposed to burn brightly. But but you see, you see that as objective, not subjective. Husbands, turn to your wife and say you hot. You You, you see, you see, that's a little. I don't know. Is that okay for church? Wives, turn to your husband and say, come on, baby, light my fire. <laughs> Why? Because I'm supposed to be burning brightly and I'm not going to settle for less than full life with my God and my brothers and sisters. We're going to get real this morning. Amen? Amen. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in what is suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission of God that he gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. That X's me out of denominations because they only give you one flavor. The mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations, but is now somebody say now, now disclosed to the saints, the sanctified ones, the ones set apart to know his will and his word, to get to know him and reflect him. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ inside of you, the hope of glory. Man, if you don't know where he's positioned at, how can you rightly reflect him? Your your leadership was challenged with this question that we have to answer at our upcoming One Association conference, right? In a world of uncertainty, what certain conviction actually keeps you secure? This was the question posed to us, and we will have to answer for you if you're there. It is this, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Pastor Devin said it so well, in this world, there's just fruit not worth eating. That is the fruit of self-deception. Pastor Kaysen said it so very well, you are a city on a hilltop set in a land called Goshen, where you were created to not be distant from your creator. You were recreated to draw near and to shine as sons in the glory of his father. This is what Hebrews 5.13 has be, uh, been trying to tell us. Anyone who has, has to drink milk is still a baby without experiencing experience in applying the word about righteousness. You see, we miss that in the interpretation. That word experience is experiential, like a, like a husband and a wife experience each other. Like those intimate moments that you have with a friend that you tell them you, stuff you don't tell anybody else. Those impactful moments that you remember. Those things that you cannot forget. And what is he saying? Listen, you're supposed to go on to many things in the kingdom, but you need to back up and you need to get wrecked by the righteousness of God. You need to get wrecked by the revelation of the righteousness of God that it's not just in the heavens, it's seated upon you and now you're in co-union with Messiah and what he is, you now are. The truth that your heavenly father chose to send his son on your behalf to do whatever it took to make you at one with. We got a fancy word for that in Christianity. It's called atonement. He made you at one with he and the father. You are now in the family of God. You get to be part of the plurality of the Lord. You are his body. You see how we make these, this stuff Token. It's just token terms. We're the body of Christ. We're an institution. No, you're an organism. And because he's righteous, you are. Because he's righteous, you are. The Asune, you are as you ought to be. He has made you as you ought to be, face to face with the Father, now positioned you rightly face to face with him so that he might actually get to down into the root of your heart and deal with those issues. Those ones he did not desire you to live with, continue with, journey with. But you get to work those things out with fear and trembling, put them behind them. Go from trial to testimony and get to talk about them about what they were, not what they are. You with me this morning? Yeah. Saints, that only comes when you're wrecked by righteousness. And when I say wrecked, I mean dramatically affected in order to be transformed. You are not what you once were. When I see you this time next year, I don't want to see who you are today. I expect you to look phenomenally different. And I expect you to expect that from me. I've been serving Jesus 23 years and I have figured it out. All I've figured out is a constant transformation. Mm, yeah, it's flipping me inside out and I'm just going to have to be okay with that. I told you I want to talk to you this morning about identity. I want you to look around for a minute in your generation. Is there an identity crisis? Yeah, Yeah, I think it's a manifestation in the natural of something that's going on in the spiritual. And I want to tell you that it transcends the the lost and the redeemed. Are you ready this morning? Are you really ready this morning? Good, because our message titled this morning is... The spiritual transvestite. You know. Uh, y'all, been, y'all been hanging out in churchianity too long. That place where they just know not to tell you the things, they just tell you what you want to hear, but not the things that actually matter. And this morning we're going to get to a place where we're going to talk about stuff that people don't talk about. Are you ready for me? Our message this morning is spiritual transvestite. Listen to me this morning. We live in a generation where men have more faith in deception than Christians have faith in truth. We live in a generation where men have more faith in their deception than Christians have faith in their truth. And you can see it. People clothe themselves with exterior deception, never realizing that it can never change their interior reality of what God says that they are. It will never change it. But it doesn't stop the broken from manifesting more faith than those calling themselves believers. That is where you live. That is the solution. That is the problem and the solution that you're supposed to be to this generation. And we run from it instead of run to it. We don't talk about it instead of talk loud about it. I want to talk to you plainly this morning. If you profess to be a Christian and do not believe what God's word says about you, then you are a spiritual transvestite. Dressing up in attire that does not agree with what your God-given identity is. You are spiritually double-minded, and James says that you are unable to receive anything further from your God because you need to go back and realize what He's already made you. He's given you a new name, a new claim, and a new aim. He's given you a new name. It's called the righteousness of God. He's given you a new claim. It's called His inheritance. And He's given you a new name, His reflection. Saints, you got to get wrecked by this or everything else will just follow suit. The man wearing a dress or the Christian man wearing church clothes looking into a mirror at his exterior condition for validation can never be brought to the reality of his interior truth. Because the only mirror that can reflect the truth of who you really are, is the one that can see past your condition and reveal your position where everything flows from. Saints, this morning we are those who are gonna see ourselves as God sees us. If you're honest this morning, to the best of your knowledge, have you fully surrendered your entire life to King Jesus? It's not a loaded question. Honest assessment. I've received, I've I've surrendered my life to King Jesus. Yeah, praise God. Then 2 Corinthians 5 17 says, Therefore, anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, the new has no past. But we flirt with it, date with it, live in it as though it's ours now. But you've been made new. You've been made qualitatively new. That word is new, it means you are measured by the quality of what you host. Not the quantity of your performing and your conditions and your merits and everything else that you can produce. And look into the mirror and reflect, man, I did that and I did that. I guess that's what I am. No, you are what God says you are. And it's the only place you can work from. Hmm. No more duplicity, saints. We live in this place Well, maybe this today and that. Tomorrow, no more vacillating, no more wavering between two opinions, no more negotiating with lies. You are children of promise. Saints, the war on your identity is like that of the warfare of the prophet Elijah. Do you remember the stories of Elijah? In the day when King Ahab, this passive leader, is sleeping with Jezebel, this this woman who surrounded herself with eunuchs, meaning she couldn't reproduce anything. Saints, when, when there's leadership around you that's passive and it's married to something that can't reproduce, that's not godliness. That's something that the spirit of God has been opposed to the entire his entire creation. Anything that tries to cancel reproduction of the likeness and the image of Christ cannot be God. And what was the answer? 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah came near to the people of God. Elijah came near to the people. He didn't run away from it. He ran to it. How long will you sit, waver between two opinions, he says. How long will you halt and limp? Between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people, they didn't say a word. Because the Spirit of God came and said, checkpoint, got you. And at that point, you should say, thank the Lord. You've shown me what I did not know. I had a blind spot. Instead, if you don't know who you are, know whose you are, and understand you don't have that relationship, then you cower from him and hide behind bushes until he has to come say, hey, Where are you? And we're back in the garden. Saints, God is not the author of confusion, your Bible says. The devil is. God does not run from you, your confusion. He runs to it. That's good news for you. Why does he do that? He said, well, I guess they can't see me very well, so I need to get closer. And let them see who I am. So that you can reflect him more accurately. Amen? Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.16, so from now on, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. No one. Though we regarded Christ in this way, we do, no, do so no longer. How do you see your brother and your sister on your right? Do you see them as what they produce or do you see them what God, uh, as what God is producing in them? He chose to place himself inside that wretched man standing in front of me and work out of him those things and work into him himself. That was his choice, not yours. He knows exactly what he got when he got me. And I'm confident in that and I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that he's working into me who he is. Pastor Kaysen said it too well this week. He said, truth is not false until proven true. It is true until proven false and good luck trying to prove God wrong. What do I mean? John 1 says, I am a child of God. Romans 3 says, I am justified. Romans 6 says, I'm no longer a slave. Romans 8.1 says, I am not condemned. Romans 8.2 says, I am set free from the law of sin and death. Romans eight seventeen says, I'm a fellow heir with the treasury of heaven. Roman, Romans 15, 17 says, I am accepted, not rejected. 1 Corinthians 1 says, I'm not just an old sinner made better. I'm a saint sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. Galatians says, I am free. Amen. Ephesians 1 says, I'm chosen, I'm holy, and I'm blameless in the eyes of God. Ephesians 2, 6 says, I am seated. 2 Corinthians 5 says, I am the righteousness of God. And watch this. Ephesians 2, 13 says, but from now on in Christ Jesus, who, you who were once so far away, though by, it, but by the blood of Jesus have been brought near. Saints, what has the Spirit taught us over the last few weeks? That our king Jesus was, a, was foreshadowed through Joseph when the man among many brothers was rejected and sold into slavery because of his favor with the father. Only to rise from the prison of impossibility to be enthroned as father and Lord to the entire free world and placed into position to bring life to those he loved in the midst of plague and darkness. Man, that sounds familiar. And this life was not released until Joseph, just like Jesus, chose to reveal himself to his brother and show God's sovereign plan despite their wicked behavior. Wow. Wow. Turn with me to Genesis 45 as we revisit for a moment. Is it okay that we give you a little meat this morning? Is it okay that we treat you like full-grown, mature lovers of Jesus? No three points in a poem? A little fuzzy, little nursery rhyme? Okay, okay. You are here because you want to grow in your love for Jesus. We know that. We're not called to just gather. We're called to grow, that we might rightly reflect and represent King Jesus. Amen? Genesis 45.1. At last, Joseph could no longer control his feelings in front of his attendants, and he cried. Do you all remember this story? This is when, after many, many years of trial, tribulation, and hardship, Joseph is seated upon a throne. His brothers are now in front of him. He has veiled his face of who he really was, and he comes to a point where he's done veiling his face, and he's now about to reveal himself to his brothers and show him his heart and nature right there in front of him. And so Joseph could no longer control his feelings in front of his attendants, and he cried, get everybody away from me. I want this to be an intimate moment with my brothers. So no one else was with him when Joseph revealed to his brothers who he was. Wow. Saints, every man is under the curse of misidentification until you can rightly identify with your maker. Hebrews 1, 3 said Jesus is the perfect representation of the father. Am I wrong? When you see Jesus, you see the father. And until you can see Jesus, you can't rightly see the father. And you can't rightly see his works in your life. And you can't rightly understand his nature until you stand in the shoes of sonship. You can't operate with him uh, according to his um, uh, uh, career. Anybody got a mom and daddy like that? Hey, my daddy's a judge, and I'm going to say, hey, judge, can we just have dinner tonight? No, you don't do that. You live in the same home, so you say, hey, daddy, can we have dinner tonight? And then he tells you about the things that's going on in the affairs of his life, but that is backwards, and that's what we've done with the father. We have to rightly appropriate. And in order to do that, you have to say, I'm a son. And then you'll see the father. Are you with me this morning? Verse two, and he wept out loud and all the Egyptians heard and Pharaoh's house heard. And Joseph said to his brother, hi, I am Joseph. It is your, is it true that my father's alive? His brothers could not even answer him. Because they were dumbfounded at seeing him. (laughs) They were wrecked. Man, I don't know about you. Maybe you were saved from a little bit of sin. But those who sin much, love much. And so now you're seeing the the actual measure of my sin. Because I was saved from that. And it now, not even close, but it's growing to the measure of my love. Because when I realized... That King Jesus did a work for me, reached down in my life and saved me despite me, placed me into the kingdom of the sun, took me out of darkness and put me into light. That wrecked me. I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't have words for it. I just shut up and said, I'm going to stop speaking because everything that comes out of my mouth is foolishness. So for a minute, I'm going to get a grip on what just happened to me. They were wrecked and you will be too when you have the revelation of Jesus. So Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. Could you imagine that? How many times do you do that? How many a times, right, do you bring closer those who have violated every single trust that you extended to them? Because Joseph has at least 10 representations of that in front of him. 10 different flavors, 10 different instances, 10 different times where he could say, Yeah, uh-uh. yeah, no, mm-mm. no, you, no, no, no way. In- into a cistern, uh uh, strip me of my robe, uh uh, slander me, talk to my father about me like that, lie to him, uh uh-uh. uh. No, no, no. And what does he do? He says, No, no, no. The answer is, Come closer. Come closer. Come close enough. To feel my intentions towards you. Come close enough to feel the breath from my mouth on your neck. Come close enough because I think maybe you don't see me for who I am. So I'm going to draw you near so that you can be close enough to see who I really am. And if you can't see it with your eyes, maybe you'll feel it with my presence. Look me in the eyes. It's one of the most intimate things you can do, right? How many people have total insecurities and they just can't? Can't talk to you. In your, right? You're like, what's going on? Something's between us. Something's not. Yeah. OK. Look at me in my eyes. Feel the breath on my face. This is what Joseph is saying. Come close to me. Any of you have trust issues in here today? Yeah. OK, yeah, I had to raise my hand first. You're like <laughs> Yeah. You see, that level of lordship that you are going to have to extend to King Jesus, that's the level of lordship you have to extend to him before the trust is actually there. Because trust comes after you realize that he came close to embrace you, not to punish you. That's why trust is so beautiful. It only comes after you extend the trust after you came close, and you say, why don't I come close? Because I'm afraid. So how does that actually happen for those of you who have walls? Submission while fear is present, while you still have fear. 1 John four eighteen: perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. That's why you get to Trust. This is the whole thing's about trust. Thanks. And they came closer, and he said, "I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But don't be sad that you sold me into slavery, or be angry among yourselves, because it was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve life. The famine has been over the land for the last." two years and yet another five is coming where you'll neither plow nor harvest. God sent me ahead of you to ensure that you will have descendants on the earth and to save your lives with a great deliverance. (laughs) With a great deliverance. They didn't even realize the extent of their poverty. So it was not You who sent me here, but it was God and he has made me watch this this is an interesting phrase, a father to Pharaoh, not Pharaoh, his father, a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all his household and rulers over the whole earth and the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to get my father and tell him he here is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord over the entire free world. Come down to me. Don't delay. You will live in the land of Goshen, the land called Drawing Near. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, herds, everything you own, I will provide for you where? There, in that place called Drawing Near. So that you won't become poverty stricken. You or your household and all that you have because five years of famine are yet to come. Wow. Are you all with me this morning? Yeah. Joseph knew that the only hope for his brothers in a time of darkness, that a uh, uh, darkness was covering the land, was to use his authority to reposition them in a land called Drawing Near. Saints, that's your only hope. Your only hope. You can't, You you can't walk in with Jesus as an intellectual ascension or a religion that your father and your, and your mother gave you. It doesn't work that way. You have to be wrecked by the revelation of righteousness placed in reposition into a place called drawing near. This is that relationship that King Jesus purchased for you. Verse 11 says, So that you will not become stricken in poverty. So many believers live for less than what Jesus purchased for you. He didn't purchase for you life. He had purchased for you abundant life. And you think that that means monetary things. Saints, that means spiritual all day long. Knowing him, growing in your knowledge, understanding, relationship and intimacy with him every single day on an increasing measure until you see him face to face. Wow. Wow. when he's speaking here that has nothing to do with natural provisions and everything to do with spiritual provision. How can I say that with confidence? Colossians 2, 15 says it for me. God disarmed the principalities and powers that were raged, ranged against us and made a bold display, public, a public example of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, let no one sit in judgment on you in matters of food and drink. Or with, or with regard to a feast day or a new moon or a Sabbath. Worship the Lord on we're Sunday Christians. What the? There's only one type of Christian. There's a t- Christians who worship the Lord all day, every day. You, you know what he's saying here? Let no one judge you whether you vape or don't vape, eat vegetables or eat meat, worship on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday. The kingdom's not a matter of taste and touch. It's a matter of righteousness and getting to know that and understanding that and watching King Jesus work that into us and we emerge with the identity in which we were called to walk in. Such things are only the shadow of things to come and they have only a symbolic value. Watch this. But the reality, the substance, the solid fact of what is foreshadowed Is the body of Christ? Belongs to Christ. What is he saying? Everything that we're reading about Joseph is a shadow. But King Jesus, he's the reality. He's the reality. And if Joseph was good, how much more is the reality? Saints, the spirit-filled life is spent and wasted on drawing close to God. And that can only happen if your elder brother Jesus repositions you near his side, alongside his throne from a place he rules and reigns and says, here's the place where you're going to learn to draw close to me, even though there's darkness everywhere. Goshen. Verse 11, there, where? There. There I will provide for you. Not more food, not more stuff, not more rituals, not more fake Christian church language, not more fake Christian relationships. You don't need any of that those things, saints. That does is not what feeds you. That is not your provision. You need more trust. And that is what it takes to draw near to God because you know exactly what the word says about drawing near to him because you have read James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well, Change your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Saints, those are prerequisites. They aren't the process. Are, are you following me? Submit yourself, then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. You read the next lines as I got to do this, 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 and then I can come near to God. No, you are near to God, and these things are what it looks like to be near him. Working these things out, fleshing them out. You know that he sits on a throne of light that exposes what you're really made of. We know that. You know that you have to go through the throne of Egypt to get to Goshen. But it's not about the throne he sits on, saints. It's about the man who sits on the throne. And we make it about the throne when it's about he who sits on the throne. And Joseph, he didn't ask his brother's permission of where to position them, did he? No. He told them where it was best for them to live that they might learn to trust him. Saints, even in the midst of famine, Jesus, our heavenly Joseph, wants us close to him so that he can provide for us. Exodus 8.22 says about these instances, God declared, I will set apart the land of Goshen, the land of drawing near in which my people will dwell that no swarms of flies shall even be there. Saints, in the land of Goshen, God's people were protected from all 10 plagues that fell upon the land of Egypt in Moses' time, including the paralyzing plague of darkness, including the reign of the Lord of Flies, they were protected from this. Do you understand? That darkness was supernatural darkness. Those plagues were God sent. Yet for those who live in the land called Drawing Near, your Bible says there <laughs> was a light in Goshen. There was a light in Goshen. Although there was a plague of darkness everywhere else, there was a light In Goshen. There was a supernatural light in the homes of those who did not fake it until they make it. They understood that there was protection and provision flowing from the throne of the one who was saving them. They understood that. They didn't negotiate it any longer. They just like this is it. It's dark everywhere else, but our light's are. They're going to shine. Where I live, it's going to shine. Why? Because my elder brother, King Yeshua, Joseph, he's sitting on the throne and he already said it. Their faith was in the fact that as long as Joseph sat on the throne, his security was their security. I- I'm sorry. Is King Jesus still seated upon his throne? At what point will he not be? Never. Never. And as long as he is seated upon the throne, his provision and protection are for those who live in Goshen and let their light shine. He gave them the land. So in their minds, that was their land. He gave it to them. Done. He positioned them for prosperity. So prosperity, guess what? It was theirs no matter their circumstances. Because he was seated upon a throne. Saints, Joseph was amazing, amen? But he pales in comparison to King Jesus. Joseph was a shadow, and shadows indicate something more real. Joseph placed his brothers in a place called drawing near. Joseph brought his brothers close to his throne, but King Jesus did not bring you near his throne. He placed you on his throne. Ephesians 2, 6 says that and God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in heavenly realms inside of Christ Jesus. In order that he had a purpose for it. Watch this. In the coming ages. Hey, we might show this incomparable riches of his grace. We might reflect this, tell this, preach about this, talk about this, let our lives speak about it. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, through trust, grounded obedience. And this, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not for your good behavior, just because the givers could. Not by works so that you might boast for we <laughs> are God's beautiful workmanship. Oh, that means that's even true on your worst day. When you know you're doing the things that you ought not do. King Jesus is there because I can see the regenerating work in you. And he's standing opposed to you. And that looks like God too. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But they need to flow from his throne. Which God prepared in advance for you to do. Saints, does that mean that you are God? Absolutely not. That means that you are like him because you are at one with him. Joseph placed his brothers in a place called Drawing Near where there was light. But watch this. Jesus placed you into his body. And now you are light just like him. Somebody needs to start prophesying to you what you are instead of what you can become. Because if I keep telling you about what you can become... By the time the end of your life happens, you're going to look back and talk about everything that would would have could have been. God speaks to things that are not as though they are Why? so that you might have life today. You, my friends, are sons and daughters of the living God. When you understand this, get wrecked by this revelation of righteousness, understand your position, then all your condition will fall into place. But you cannot do that the other way. Ephesians 5:6, let no one deceive you with empty words. You know what's empty? Shadows. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Do not partner with shadows. For you were once darkness, but now, when? Now you are light in the Lord. Live then as you are, because he set you as you ought to be. What? Light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Does that mean you need to run out and just tell everybody about their sin? No, you go be light, and light simply fills darkness. Hello? That's effortless. Just be who you are, and who you are will drive out darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. When you show up, shouldn't be there. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. For everybody, for everything exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it says, wake up. Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Wow. Saints, it's time that you wake up to the reality of who God has made you so that your righteous actions will line up with the truth. It's time that you stop living your life putting on Joseph and start putting on the God of Joseph. Spending your entire life putting on every character that you admire is like cross dressing to cover up the insecurity of your transvestite spirit. It's exhausting, spiritually exhausting, not life-giving. And it comes from misidentification that comes from you not knowing that you are the workmanship of God, that God is making his appeal to this world through your weakness, through your failures, and through everything that you are. A story that says my God is able to take something unholy and make it holy and then place it back into a dark and unholy world and cause it to shine. We call that impossible. Well, God, all things are possible. Amen. Saints, when your Bible says that you are the righteousness of Christ Jesus, it means that what it says, it means exactly what it says it means. Whether or not you identify with it or not. Oh, yeah, y'all understand what I'm saying now. I'm talking about identification in a world of misidentification. Let me walk you through Romans 8 for a minute, and then we'll close out. Say there when you're there. I'm going to walk you through Romans 8. I'm going to touch on Genesis 3, and I will stop calling you transvestites. Because when I'm done, at, at minimum, you'll be spiritual investites. How's that? Amen. Fully invested with the truth about who King Jesus says you are. Somebody say, Jesus is my Goshen. Jesus is my Goshen. And that's why you shine. Romans 8.1, therefore... There is no longer any condemnation awaiting those who are in union with Messiah Yeshua. That's the CJB and I love it. He nailed it. There is no longer any condemnation awaiting those who are in union with Messiah Yeshua. Oh, y'all not get me. That's why Kason can look at at Kendall, and Kendall can look at Kason and say, Hey, come on, baby, light my fire. That's okay language within union. Saints, every other train that does not start here will bring you to the wrong destination. You are at one with Jesus, you are His righteousness. He set you there by His own choice so that you can work from that place. Why, verse two? Because the Torah of the Spirit, some of your translations say law, it's a legalistic lens, I'm taking that off and putting on the right instruction from your Father. The Torah of the Spirit, which produces life in union with Messiah Yeshua, has set me free from the Torah, a spiritual law of sin and a law of death. For what the Torah could not do by itself because it lacked the power to make the old nature, watch this, cooperate. It could not and was not designed to make your flesh cooperate with the spirit of God. God did by sending his son as a human being with a nature like our own. But without sin, God did this, watch this, this is very important, in order to deal with sin. You see, our answer today for sin is to not talk about it because, well, Jesus did away with it, and we're hidden in Christ, and He's His righteousness. No, you have a misunderstanding of what that word means, and I'm going to fix that for you this morning. Hold your finger there in Romans 8, and we touch on Genesis, 3, Genesis 4, I'm sorry, and come back to Romans 8. How many remember Genesis 4, Cain and Abel? Genesis 4, 2. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But with, with, with Cain, or on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do not do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Have you ever read that? I know. Abel brought an offering and God accepted him. Cain brought an offering and God rejected him. So in Cain's rejection, he walked away, right, depressed because he could not earn the favor of the father. He could not earn his status as a son because sin was now, devour, was now devouring him. Let me read that for you. The Lord looked on Cain Verse 5, but Cain and his offering, the Lord did not look with favor on. That means he did not pay attention to it. Anybody got kids in here? When they approach you and you don't pay attention to them, do they stop being a son? Do they stop being a daughter? But do they walk away feeling like that at times? They can. But you didn't make them feel like that. It didn't come from you. It was innately in them. This is what happened. Cain didn't come as a son and walk away as not a son. But he manufactured the thought that he did. So what happens next? God did not pay attention to his offering. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. This means he lost his confidence. God did not pay attention to his offering. So he lost his confidence. And then look what it says in verse seven. Cain, if you do not do it right, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Anybody got a different translation for accepted? it? It's empowered. If you not, do not do righteousness, wouldn't you be empowered? God didn't pay attention to Cain's offering, so he's lost his confidence and he walked away unempowered. And God says, Listen, you're getting this wrong. You don't understand something. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door like a beast and it wants to devour you. And the truth is, it already started. That word sin in Hebrew is hata'af, beautiful word. It means punishment, legal violation is exactly what it means. Now, when we go back to Romans 8 and we read the word sin, in the Greek, it is harmatia. You know what it means? Relational misidentification. That word sin in Genesis and that word in Romans 8, they are not distant from one another. Both are true. It was a legal violation that brought punishment on the identification of Cain. When we see harmatia in the Greek, we have a more true, more clear representation of what that sin was in Genesis 4. Cain had a conflict of identity and so manufactured in himself that he was rejected when the father never rejected him as a son. And he in himself opened up a door for punishment that God wasn't dishing out, but his misidentification was dishing out. And his actions followed suit when he took it out on his brother. There's a major difference, although, between these two words. And why is that? Because in between Genesis and in between Romans, there has been a great exchange. That word sin in Hebrew was legal punishment. But Colossians says Jesus took that punishment of that law upon himself so that you might get a clearer understanding that your sin is the sin of misidentification. You see, we thought sin was that thing that happened outside of the church doors. Oh, no, friend. Sin is beautiful in the fact that it is an opportunity to return to the father and face him with the fact that you might be a spiritual transvestite putting on a facade and a persona that doesn't actually agree with what he said about you. Sin was punishment for violating divine law, and now sin is more clearly redefined as relational misidentification. This tells us, number one, something has fundamentally changed in the creation since the coming of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The image and likeness of God has made himself fully known inside of the creation. Therefore, there is now no excuse for you not to know where to find your identity. He is the light shining in darkness and the people of God has seen a great light, Luke says. Number two, this makes sin much more of an intimate issue then a legal violation get this saints you're not dealing with a father who's sitting on a on a with a black robe on a with a jewelry around him and a gavel just waiting to spank you when you get it wrong that is not a biblical point of view your sin will punish you enough The consequences of those things, your sin of misidentification, you do this because you don't think you're this. You do this because you don't. You think you're that, which you're actually this. You think you're the old man when he's made you new. So you act according to what the voice you hear in your mind is telling you. You're getting your direction, but you're getting your direction from lies. The voice of the father of lies have crept into you. Either somebody taught it to you, you manufactured it yourself, you heard it somewhere, or you read it through the wrong lens. We need to stop seeing sin as a measure of right and wrong and start seeing it as misidentification of what God's word says about you. Saints, when this happens, you will begin to see your sin as misidentification as a son. Every time you demean yourself and think inappropriately about what God has anointed. I'm a pastor. I see it all on every spectrum. Oh, woe is me. He anointed you. You are the righteousness of God. Why are you demeaning that? You're the house of God. You're the temple of the living God. Treat yourself as such. when you look on your brothers as lesser than? How can you do that when they are the righteousness of Christ standing in front of you? Or when you elevate your condition above your position by thinking God's not able to save you from your wretched, unbiblical behavior? You think he can't do it? Hmm. Or when you mock the transvestite who is displaying more faith in his deception than you are in your God's ability to deliver you as he promised. To save you, to deliver you. To save your wife. To save your husband. To deliver them from what they are. To make your wife holy. To make your husband's callous heart a heart of flesh. To make your Behavioral righteousness catch up with your positional righteousness. He can do it, can he not? Mm. Saints, repentance is a beautiful lifestyle that you get to participate in your entire life instead of inside of this realm of righteousness. Oh, that you already possess. And that goes for those in this room this morning that are irreligious. And religious, and there's both sitting in this room. Romans eight three. For what the Torah could not do by itself, because it lacked the power to make the old nature cooperate, God did by sending His own Son as a human being with a nature like our sinful nature, but without sin. God did this in order to deal with your misidentification. In order to deal with your relational misidentification with your father, and in doing so, he executed the—I'm sorry—he executed the punishment against sin in human nature. Done, so that the just requirement of Torah might be fulfilled in us who do not run our lives according to what our old nature wants, but according to what the Spirit wants. Watch this—very important. Those who identify. With their old nature, set their minds on the things of the old nature. Why do you keep reproducing the things that you know you ought not to do? Because you're identifying with the wrong man. Those who identify with their old nature set their minds on things of the old nature. But those who identify with the spirit, you know what it doesn't say? Identify with your denomination. Identify with the religion you grew up in. Identify with the church that you grow up in. It says identify with the spirit of God. Set their minds on things of the spirit. Having one having one's mind controlled by the old nature is death. And he's talking to you believers. But having one's mind controlled by the spirit is shalom, peace and life. For the mind controlled by the old nature is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's Torah. Indeed, it cannot. Thus, those who identify with the old nature cannot please God. But you, yes, you, but you, you do not identify with your old nature, but with the Spirit. Provided that the Spirit is living in you, for anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Messiah doesn't belong to Him. However, if the Messiah is inside of you, then Then on the one hand, the body is dead because of relational misidentification, sin that that leads to legal violations in the heavens. But on the other hand, the spirit is giving life because, watch this, God considers you righteous. And if the spirit of the one who raised Yeshua from the dead is inside of you, the one who raised... Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also do something else. He will give you life to the mortal bodies through his spirit living in you. (laughs) Come on, somebody. John 1.1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And he was. Yeah. God in the beginning. Through him all things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made in him was life. And that life is the light of men. Amen. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not understand it. Somebody say there's a light in Goshen. So then, brothers, we don't owe anything to the old man that would require us to live according to the old nature, but if you live according to the old nature, you will certainly die. But if by the Spirit you keep putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. All who are led by God's Spirit are sons. He could have said servants, he could have said slaves, but there's a reason he picked sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to bring you back again to fear. On the contrary, you received the spirit who makes us sons by whose power we cry out, Abba! Amen. Amen. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if we are children of God, we are also heirs. And if we are heirs of God, we are joint heirs Together with Messiah, we are at one with his body. Provided we are suffering with him in order that we will be glorified with him. Saints, four times Paul says that those who identify with the truth that God considers you, yes, the man who wakes up with the propensity to still sin, sons of the living God. Those who act like their father. Those who do not identify with, their, with this saints yet tried to put on church clothes are spiritual transvestites, cross-dressing, to try to satisfy an identity that's not really theirs putting on exterior garments that do not identify with their interior reality and their whole life will be spent dressing up to draw attention from man to try and appease their spiritual insecurities. Saints, that can no more make a confident, secure woman of God uh, out of Anna than if Avery were to put on a dress today. And him actually become a woman. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work, saints. It'll never work. Romans eight ten says that God considers me righteous, and that is what I identify with. That is where I work from. That is why I work in the first place. That is what I work as. That is the place that God has sovereignly chose to place me, so that I can learn to draw near him. So when I sin, I know that it is a relational misidentification and a drawing back when I am designed to draw near. First John 2, 1, when, when we sin, we have an advocate, not an accuser. Saints, if an entire group of men on the planet can wake up In the morning, put on high heels and a skirt and believe that they are a woman. And that identification makes them bold enough to walk into a bathroom with my own daughter. Where are the sons of God that are going to arise and show them what faith in actual truth looks like? That makes them call causes them to be bold enough and to step up and to say, hey, I am the righteousness of Christ. And over time, my behavior is going to prove it. the only thing the sons of God have to put on in the morning is the identity of Christ. And the last that I look, Jesus never questioned what his father said about him. He was never double-minded about anything that his father told him because he only derived his value from what the father said about him. Because he never measured himself by anything other than what the, how the father saw him. Saints, when are the remnant of men going to stand up and take their hit for what the Son of God says that they're supposed to look like, act like, present themselves like? Yeah, that's going to cause you to have a target on your back from the kingdom of darkness because that's clarity, not confusion. Colossians said it. He purchased you to present you. He purchased you to present you he purchased you to present you to this world and say you are the workmanship of Christ you are the righteousness of Christ God is not a far-off God he's right there in that man right there in that woman and you see him at work every time that I fail and he causes me to rise again you see him at work every time you see my weakness and you see his power perfected through my weakness you see him in me you learn about him as he works in me He saved you, not just to set you free, but to shine through you. Verse 18, I do not think the sufferings we are going through now are even worth comparing to the glory (laughs) that will be revealed to us in the future. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was made subject to frustration, not willingly, but because of the one who subjected it. Who subjected it? God subjected it. What did he subject? The creation. Saints, you are part of that creation and you are going to remain frustrated until you get wrecked by the revelation of righteousness. His righteousness placed into you. Saints, the fact that your value is not derived from you, but rather derived from the one that you host is liberating and will cause your condition to catch up with your position. The fact of your value, your merit and your measure is not derived from you, but from the one you host. Your identity does not fluctuate upon your ability to perform. It is a fixed value. And that is where your strength comes from. Oh, this will cause you religious folks in here to get righteous really quick. Instead of trying to leverage the law of God upon every one of your brothers and sisters and can't figure out why you don't have real friends. It's attractive to be around men and women of God who understand this. It is repulsive to be around the others. And that's not where we're supposed to be a body of Christ. We are supposed to be known by our love for one another. Saints, I am his righteousness. Amen. Amen. Your righteousness is the only thing that clothes you. If I am his righteousness, then I am not rejected. I am protected. Amen. That means I'm blessed, not depressed. Amen. I'm anointed, not disappointed. Is that you? Right. I'm not just an old sinner saved by grace. I'm a son sanctified and set apart to shine for his glory. 1 John 4, 16, God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in him. And in this way, love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. We are reciprocating what's been poured out for us. I love God. And it needs to be seen. Amen. Amen. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God he ha- and hates his brother, he's a liar. This is what we're talking about, saints. Living a life that's a lie and actually telling yourself that it's true. There are many hurting people out there that we can see today that are manifesting that on the outside. And if it's at that point of coming out on the outside, how long has it been festering on the inside? No one living a life lying to himself will ever find fulfillment. And that's for you, too, Christian. We will only learn to settle for less. And, it, and a life like that can never shine. It can only be a shadow and not the reality. But you are sons of God. Amen. Amen. You were given Goshen. There is a light in Goshen because King Jesus is the light and you're in the light. So therefore, King Jesus gets to be our Goshen and you have become what he is. A light shining in the midst of darkness. You were born again to represent and represent the fire of God. You love righteousness and holiness. Why? Because it's what God looks like and that's just who you are. It's the only place that those who have seen the face of Joseph, those who have been wrecked by the revelation of righteousness can find satisfaction. But the creation was given a reliable hope, a reliable hope, a hope that does not move that it too would be set free from the bondage of decay. The misidentification is like a rot to the bones and every man that walks in it is dying even though he lives and, and would enjoy the freedom accompanying the glory of the, that God's children will have. We know that until now, say now, now, the whole creation has been groaning as with pains of childbirth and not only it but we ourselves Who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we continue to wait eagerly to be made completely fully sons. That is to have our whole bodies redeemed and set free. What is he saying? He's saying your spirit man has been reborn. Your soul has been restored and your flesh will be resurrected. And it's as good as done in the eyes of God. And that gives this whole world hope. Because you get to show them what it looks like to trust for the last part to happen. Verse 24, it was in hope that you were saved. But if we see what we hope for, it's not hope at all. After all, who hopes for what he already has? But if we continue hoping for something we do not see, then we still wait eagerly for it in perseverance. Saints, this is why a, <laughs> I'm gonna leave that one alone. I was thinking, like, That's why rapture can't be good You just just rapture all the testimonies out. Leave the world hopeless. Similarly, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray, but he does. The spirit himself pleads on our behalf with groanings and deep words and with one who searches hearts knows exactly what the spirit's thinking because his pleading for God's people according to God's will. Wow. Look at verse 29 says, because those whom he foreknew in advance, he also predetermined in advance, watch this, that they would be conformed to the pattern and image of the Son. That is what's happening to your identification, saints. And he, verse 30, also caused you to be considered righteous. And those whom call, he caused to be considered righteous, he glorified. Wow. What then should we say to these things? This is, is this a license for sin, a gray area for misidentification? No, it doesn't even make biblical sense. That is the doctrine of demons that wants to keep you confused. And God is not the author of confusion. He's the author of clarity. And that's why he the, the kingdom of darkness is making warfare against identification. Here we go. We're done. If God is for us, <laughs> who can be against us? I mean, do you live with that Holy Ghost attitude? Because when you know who you are, you do. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up on our behalf for everyone. Is it possible that giving, having given his son, he would not give us everything else too? So who will bring a charge against us? Who will bring a charge against God's chosen people, his body? Certainly not God, he says. He is the one who causes them to be considered righteous, who punishes them. Certainly not the Messiah Yeshua, who died and more than that has been raised is and is at the right hand of the headship of God. Pleading on our behalf, who will separate us from the love of Messiah? Is it trouble? Is it hardship? Is it persecution? Is it hunger? Is it poverty? Is it danger? Is it war? As the Tanakh says, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered like sheep to the slaughter. No, in all things, you are super conquerors. (laughs) Though through this world, though the (laughs) through the one who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death, life, angels, nor heavenly rulers, neither neither what exists nor what is coming, neither powers nor Powers below, nor any other created things will be able to separate us from the love of God, which comes through Messiah, Yeshua, our Lord. You know the one thing that's not mentioned there? You. Nothing can separate us from the love of God unless you put distance between you. Are you convinced, saints? Are you convinced that the righteousness of God now resides in you because the word of God has been written to ensure you of what is true I've been married for 23 years a lot a long time <laughs> Jennifer's not convinced she's not she, she is convinced that I love her she's convinced that we're married Nobody has to convince her that each day. She is not worried like, oh, man, I just wonder if he loves me. It was just like, you know why I say that? Because you can get to that place with your relationship with God, too. Instead of needing to show up every Sunday for somebody to convince you that God loves you. Nobody has to convince me of that. (laughs) He proved it. Done. I've moved on to different things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's time that we repent of our mental sin. Our relational misidentification with what God says about you, so that you might be free, saints. Saints, if you're here today and you've given your life to the Lord, this is why you're still confused, unfulfilled, and still searching. This right here. If you're here today and you haven't given your life to the Lord, you're still confused, unfulfilled, and still searching, it's the same sin misidentification of the relationship you have with your heavenly father you are sons of god because he created you to be you will be like him and reflect his image when you surrender to the supremacy of his sonship amen, amen. daniel 12:1 says at that time michael the great prince who protects your people will arise Daniel's prophesying about a time to come called the end days in which we live in. There will be a time of distress such as not have happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is written in the book of life will be delivered. Multitudes will sleep in the dust of the earth and they will awake some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt, and those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and forever. Stand with me. Father, we're asking that you would open our eyes to the revelation of your righteousness and what that means for this life, this gift that you've given us. Father, you sent your son that we might be free. Free from legalities, free from legalism, free from religion, and only finding life in the relationship found with you. And we're asking, Lord, that these seeds that come from your word will couple together with your spirit that lives inside of us. And it will cause us to live in the new creation that you've made us to be. We thank you, mighty one, for speaking to us. Father, we thank you for giving us a spirit of endurance, Lord God, to hear your word. Mighty God, an empowerment to carry it out. We thank you for the body of Christ that you have planted us in, Lord God, that causes us and allows us to learn what it looks like to actually love one another in order to love you. Mighty God, we love you and we thank you for your word and we pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Come on. Hey, love on somebody. You're going to live together forever.